0: And I was just over talking to Sharon, and my uh, friend David Glasspool sits down next to me with a Ghostbusters shirt on. And I said, David, that's a very appropriate t-shirt for tonight's message. Because it is, why? I said, because our speaker is talking about Ghostbusting. (laughs) He actually told me he'd give me $5 if I, if I said that, that he was wearing a t-shirt with ghost on it and mentioned him by name. And I said, sure, I'll take the $5 and put it toward the building fund. So you owe me five bucks, David. All right. This Sunday kicks off our summer series called Hot Topics. Our first hot topic is uh, sizzling hot, I think. Right out of the box, we're going to be talking about the spirit world about angels, about demons, about possession, about deliverance. We're going to be talking about the unseen spiritual warfare that goes on in the backdrop of our lives, kind of like how certain applications run on your computer when you're doing other things. Our speaker for tonight is Sharon Beekman. Sharon Beekman got her master's from the University of Denver, became a licensed marriage and family therapist for several years. Um, After some time, she went to Denver Seminary and got a master's of divinity from Denver Seminary, became ordained to the ministry in the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. I say this to you because her story is so fantastic that I want you to know that you're dealing with someone who has done a lot of academics and has the credentials to back up what she's saying. I first became acquainted with Sharon when I was on staff at Corona Presbyterian Church here in the Capitol Hill District of Denver. I was in one of the offices, saw this book on the shelf called um, Enticed by the Light. And it says the terrifying story of one woman's encounter with the new age. And so I picked it up and started reading it, you know, several hours later, (laughs) I finished it and uh, have not been able to get it off my mind ever since. I've met Sharon on a few occasions. Sharon has actually done some training for our mission teams before they went to uh, the Northern Cheyenne Indian Reservation in Montana. Because when you go there, you encounter all sorts of traditional American Indian religious rituals and you kind of need to know what's going on not just with the rituals but with the spirits and the power behind the rituals and she's an expert in those fields. So I just want you to open your hearts and open your minds to what's going to be an extremely interesting message. Be plenty of time at the end for Q&A. So please welcome Sharon Beekman. First Start get questions at 8.15. How's that? I'll do it. Okay.
1: Can I take this off? Yes, it is so nice to be here, and thank you for inviting me. I really appreciate it. And I had a wonderful time this morning at your church in Inglewood. And because of their questions that they asked me, And because of my interactions with them after church, I decided that I was going to incorporate the answers into my talk tonight. So you have the benefit of when they lined up after when I talked and asked me all these questions. So (coughs) now I have entitled this. Is it on the screen? Yep. Where do you put your faith? It's an important question, isn't it? And I think that probably each of you at some point have had to ask yourself, can I put my faith in this? Is it genuine? And sometimes it's a person. And you want to know whether this person is who they seem to be. Like, are they real? Or is this just a facade? So where we put our faith is not something we do lightly. It's not something that we just jump into like an escape. But it is something that we take very seriously. And I took it very seriously. But I did not become a Christian until I was 45. So the first 45 years of my life, I was a pagan. And that's what I'm going to be talking about. All those years of what I put my faith in. And what happened to me as a result of it? Now I know Jesus Christ. (laughs) And I know that he is my Lord. He is my Savior. He is my confidant. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords of my life and of this world. Amen? Amen. He is. And he is everything that he says. That he is, as in the revealed word in the Bible. That's what's so exciting about the Bible, is that it is the truth. But it is his faithfulness through these years since I have become a Christian that has just made me love him more and more and more and more. Have you found that to be true? like you love him when you first give your heart to him and then you love him more and more because he is faithful. He is faithful. And Jesus Christ came to defeat the enemy of our soul. In 1 John 2.8, it says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. He does that. I am going to give you a testimony about that. And even though I am talking to you tonight about my struggle with demons, I am really going to talk to you about the power and the sovereignty of our Lord Jesus Christ and what he does and what he saves us from. Now, I, like probably many of you, came from a situation in my home life that was not the best. And what happened to me in particular were that there was just a string of family problems that culminated with my parents leaving. And so they would come home one weekend a month and sometimes two two weekends a month. And from the age of 10, I was raised by housekeepers. So I learned to be very independent. Now I had gone to church and I did like church. And so even when they were not around, I found myself at church. But because I lost faith in authority figures and, and because so much of my life I had to make my own decisions, I didn't trust people in authority very much. And so I was kind of looking for them to make a mistake, to prove to me that they weren't trustworthy. And I'll just describe one kind of final incident at church that drove me away. I was in a Presbyterian church in Fremont, Nebraska, and I was sitting on the aisle, and the sermon was about something I couldn't even tell you what, but he was preaching, and he was reading from his notes, and all of a sudden, I heard this commotion at the back of the church. And so I turned around and I saw this crowd of poor people pouring into our church and this never ever happens in Fremont Nebraska especially in it must have been 58 this never happens and so I was sitting there and I looked at the pastor and I looked at these people and I and around the congregation they were saying gypsies gypsies and I had never seen a gypsy I didn't know what a gypsy was And they came up and they were standing right here. And I could have reached out and touched this lady, but I was transfixed. I couldn't believe this was happening in the middle of a service. And she had a baby pressed against her chest and she had her hand out. And she was saying, baptize, baptize, baptize. And they were all saying this, baptize our children, baptize. And there were children, you know how they were just kind of like huddled around the feet of these adults. And I looked up at our pastor who just kept right on with his sermon. How does one ignore this crowd of people that just walked into church? And he did. And then his wrist went just like that. And that was a signal to the ushers that they were to remove these people from church. My heart broke. But I was already pretty battered inside. But I was. Screaming actually hypocrite you 're a hypocrite. What about feeding the poor? What about bringing people into church just because they don 't look like us? Why would you tell them to leave the church i didn 't understand, and i didn 't say a word, and he went right on with his sermon. It would be another thirty years when I was teaching an, I, was, I was teaching a class at um, Denver Seminary for Dr. Gordon Lewis when he was sick. And I was teaching a class on the occult and Christianity. And in the, in the class was a couple of missionaries from Yugoslavia. And when I was giving this part of my testimony, they interrupted and they said, gypsies treat baptisms like good luck charms. Your pastor knew that. He was treating them like good luck charms, like if they got, the more baptisms they got, the more blessings God had to give them, like magic, you understand? Had nothing to do with salvation. Had nothing to do with coming into the kingdom of God. That man, my pastor, knew that. But I was ready to find anything wrong. I could have come up to him and I could have asked him, why did you do that? But no, what I did was I walked out of the church. I continued going to church, but it was never the same. I never prayed. I I didn't talk. I didn't read the Bible. It was never the same again. Then I found, when I came out to Denver, I worked at Fort Logan Mental Health Center, and there I found the Human Potential Movement. And there I heard this message that was like, Music to my soul. They said I was a good person. They said that uh, if I would just work on and heal some of the wounds from my childhood, that I would be healed completely. Everything would be just fine. I took it very seriously. Over the course of the years, I had a successful practice. And I had a a son, and I had a good husband. And then around um, 1977... I felt this uneasiness in me. It's like psychology really didn't offer what I thought it was going to. I still felt that emptiness in here. Do you know what I mean before you know the Lord? Just that emptiness in here. And it was like something was wrong that I couldn't put my finger on. But because I had done so much in the human world, in the, in humanism, I just reasoned it must be spiritual. Certainly it didn't have anything to do with Christianity, because I had closed the door on that. And so what I did was I started exploring what they described in the 70s as alternative spiritual expressions. Today you would call it the New Age, and you might even call what some of what I did the occult. But I decided that I needed to learn how to meditate. So I joined a spiritualist church um, spiritual development class and it met every Tuesday night for four hours and I I wanted to learn how to meditate because so much of what I've been reading said that I needed to learn how to transcend myself in order to somehow become part of something bigger than myself. Do you understand? That transcendence that comes through meditation, because they were telling me that everything is one. Everything at this higher level was one, and I would be empowered as I became part of that. This was very exciting to me. And so I developed a um, practice of meditating every morning for a half an hour, and then I would do yoga for a half an hour. Now, I just want to pause here and say how this is so very different from Christianity and what is taught in the Bible and what we learn about. Do you know the difference between meditation as taught by new age people? When you learn how to transcend, when you go into that twilight place of sleep where you're not fully asleep, but you're not fully awake, you're just kind of suspended there in consciousness And you have a peace. You have a certain kind of peace, but it's not the kind of peace that comes from inside when you know our Lord and the Savior, Jesus Christ. Has anyone here ever meditated? Just raise your hand. What I was using was a Buddhist meditation, and I also used Hindu. But basically, it was either focusing on a candle or learning to quiet my mind, to quiet everything in me, and to transcend myself. Whereas our Lord came as a person, didn't he? He came as a person. He took the human form. And when we become Christians, we have that Holy Spirit in us. And that Holy Spirit changes us from the inside out and gives us that peace because we have been reconciled with God. That is a huge difference. He doesn't teach us to leave our bodies. He teaches us to love and obey him because he's giving us a new heart. Do you understand what I'm saying? There is a difference. Now, sometimes people will say, well, you can meditate on Scripture, right? There's a lot of Christians who meditate on Scripture that, too, is wonderful. Now, one of the scriptures that many people meditate on, be still and know that I am God. Right? You know that scripture from the Psalms? Be still and know that I am God. Sometimes you can just be quiet and you read that scripture and the Holy Spirit talks to you and you feel a peace, right? But do you have to leave your body to do that? No. No. You don't. Now, we may be talking about this later, but let me go on down my list. And uh, did you get a handout? Aha, there they are. <clears throat> when I was in this class and I was meditating, we would go into this altered state of consciousness. All of a sudden, pictures would form in my mind and I would hear voices talking to me and spirits were talking to me. So I learned how to contact spirits. And then I would give readings for people in the class, kind of like practicing. So I learned how to do what they call divination, so that I would read and interpret and give someone a reading. And then I would ask them later whether that came true or not. Sometimes it did, sometimes it didn't. But I didn't, it didn't matter if something didn't, didn't come true. I just thought, well, nothing's perfect. I thought this was just something that was happening. Like, I was the mediator between the spirit world and this world. Is that true? No. We have one mediator, don't we? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our mediator between God and us. That's it. Now, why do you suppose that divination is wrong? Think about that. Why is it wrong? God says in Deut- Deuteronomy 18.10, do not visit spiritists. That's what I was, a spiritist. Do not visit spiritists. It's an abomination to him. Who, who wants to be the source of our truth? Jesus, right? God, the Bible. Who is the source of our truth? And when we turn to other sources of truth for truth, then it is an abomination to God. What I was doing, God hated. Even though I was effective, God hated it. Because something works doesn't necessarily mean that it is good and of God. A woman asked me this morning, why not use the I Ching? What's wrong with using the I Ching? Has anyone here ever used the I Ching? We have the I Ching, we have the Tarot. Anyone here ever read astrology charts? These are all forms of divination, aren't they? Ways of of seeking that hidden truth. God hates it. It's not of him, not of him at all. And he warns us about such things. Of course, I didn't believe in evil. I didn't believe in God. I didn't believe in heaven or hell. And so I had no fear. And when I was doing these things, the messages were positive and uplifting. I I knew nothing that was fearful to be afraid of that was happening because it was so positive. And so I just kind of went on with my life. And then I got involved in the Native American medicine wheel. I would, um, because in Colorado, there's a lot of sweat lodges and things. And because there are so many of the spiritual practices of the Native Native American uh, medicine wheel and, and medicine men are very similar to spiritualism. And so it was very easy for me to go from one to another. So I learned about that also. And then I would give psychic readings. This was all as I was conducting a psychotherapy practice. Not that I did it in my practice, but it was like an avocation. And so these are some of the things that I got involved in. Of course, I did a lot of reading. I did a, the Jin Shin Does Is anyone involved here with acupressure? I got involved with a Jin Shin Juizu, which is placing your hands on pressure points throughout the body to affect healings. Sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. I was the best at healing headaches, but because something works doesn't mean it's right. They teach that there's chakras. They teach that there's energy flows. They teach that if you put your hands in certain places of the body, that it'll open up that energy flow and will heal the body, will harmonize the energy of the body. Now, I ask you, is that the Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit is a person, isn't it? So we don't need to use these kinds of things. We don't need to use these kinds of things. They're dangerous. And because they work doesn't mean they're right. Now, you can ask me some questions about this later, but let me finish my testimony The spirits that I was channeling were very positive. And like I said, sometimes they would come true and the messages that they gave would come true, but they were always very insightful. But I found something happening in my life that I couldn't understand. And that was, I was becoming more fragile. I was losing myself. I felt a coldness at the core that I couldn't explain. I lost my marriage. I lost friends. I couldn't connect with anyone because when I tried to connect with someone, they would chatter in my mind. And so I realized that I needed to stop this. I needed to get out. And so one night, I I just sat down and went into that meditative state and I just said, I'm done, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm going to now get back into the mainstream. And they said, they were cordial because I could hear them very clearly at this time. So they were very cordial and left. But the next um, morning I awoke and they had taken possession of me. This is how I, it was. The next morning was Saturday, errand day, and before rising, I snuggled under my downfield comforter, pulled the salmon casing under my chin, and whispered, Yes, this is right to do. But my words were barely uttered when a foreboding permeated every pore, and the spirit whispered in low, menacing tones, No, couldn't go, Sharon, sorry. But I said, You have to leave. He said no, and then he, he, he just started cursing in my mind. He'd, these spirits had never acted like this before. They started cursing, and then they started punishing me and my body, and they became more evil in an icy kind of way than anything I'd ever known or heard of in my life. I was terrified. I, I jumped out of bed. And I ran around my house just trying to get rid of this clamoring in my mind. And I couldn't do it because I knew what had happened. I knew that they had taken possession of my mind, my emotions, and also my body. And I could not get free. And I remember that I ran down the street. I did get dressed. I ran down the street and i was just frantic but it was helpful to move because i could feel my my body i could feel that i existed somewhere separate from what they were doing to me and these thoughts and these feelings that they were infusing me with and i was so so terrified that i absolutely didn't know what to do so i cleaned the garage i swept And then I still had to figure out what I was going to do, but I couldn't use my mind to figure out what I was going to do. So I started calling everybody that I'd ever known, the Spiritualist Church, the Unity Church, the Religious Church of Mile High Science. I called them all, and they told me that it was my karma. And so it was something that I just had to ride out until something was resolved so that I could have my life back. This happened January 1985. By that summer, I was very suicidal because I had tried everything to get free and they were keeping me up night and day and I was sleep deprived and I could hardly hold down food. So it was a miserable time. And it was about the time that I became very suicidal that God showed himself, revealed himself, And I knew that there was something beyond that was stronger. And I kept saying to God, please show me that superior spiritual presence who can make them stop. Show me who that spiritual presence is that is stronger. Now, just to give you a little taste of what it was like, I when I would go down a uh, grocery store aisle, like I would, I would have a list in my pocket of what I needed, and I would say, like I needed, like I, I went down an aisle knowing I wanted to get a can of tomato soup. So I would look up there, and then they would take my mind and whirl it around, and I could not make the decision whether it was tomato or. Pea soup or chicken noodle soup or whatever. And they would be laughing like hyenas in my mind saying, no, you cannot decide right now. We decide when you decide what you're going to eat. And I couldn't move. So I would wait there until they would silence. And then I would say, oh, it was tomato soup. It was like that. Everywhere. I finally called my um, friend from college who was also a psychologist, and and she and I had gone to nursing school together, and I thought she was a Zen Buddhist, so I could trust her with what I was about to say, that I had gotten trapped in the new age. I couldn't get out, and uh, this was like December of 86, so I'd been going like this for two years. And so it was December of 86 and I I said help do you know anyone that has a spiritual practice that can help me get out of this and um I didn't know it but she'd become a Christian in the last year and so she sent me a bible I was shocked I said Tad is a Christian shocked and so she sent me the bible and she was she knew I was a kind of like a academic kind of clinician, and so she had these yellow sticky marks to Christ's temptation in the wilderness, and she said, this is is the person I think you should know because he defeated Satan. So she told me that what was happening to me was demonic and that it was of Satan and that I needed to become a Christian. So I got the material. I opened up the Bible. I could not read it, because of the barrage of attacks that were coming at the Bible. And these attacks now came in the form of challenging theology. Like, God is not who he says he is. This book is trash. Don't trust it. They came in the form of attacking the word of God now. And so I called her and I said, well, Ted, which churches in Denver do you know that believe in in these things, that I could go in and learn how to become a Christian. And she said, just walk into a church and tell them you're demon-possessed and you wanna know Jesus Christ. (laughs) And so I have to tell you that's exactly what I did. I went into this church and it was at, uh, I'm not gonna tell you which church it is, but it was noon hour, and I walked into this church and i the pastor was sitting in his office. it was an older church. The pastor was sitting in his in his office, and I walked in and I was um, dressed not too differently from how I am now actually and i said i 'm demon possessed, and I want to know jesus christ and i 'll tell you his eyes just glazed over, and I knew that somehow, well, this is how I reasoned. I'm not sure it's true. I thought maybe the demons had scrambled his mind, you know? I didn't know because he said, well, this is a very conservative congregation and I'm sure you would not fit in here. And so I thought, he's wrong. That's my first thought, he's wrong. I know Jesus is the answer, because I could feel something stirring in me. You know, I knew He was the answer. I just didn't know how you become a Christian. And so, I called um, my friend Tad back, and I said, "Okay, that didn't work." <coughs> <laughs> and so she had to talk to her own pastor about what churches in Denver believe in demons and how to work with me or how to, how to deal with this situation. So she, she called me back within a day, and she said, go to Corona Presbyterian Church, right, go to Corona, because the pastor um, at her church in Burbank, California, used to be the pastor at Corona. And so he knew it was a Bible-believing church. So he sent me to Corona Presbyterian Church, to Bishop Fry." who was the uh, bishop of the Episcopal Church at the time, and then also to a vineyard church. So I called all three of them, set up an appointment, but they couldn't see me for a week. And I wanted to become a Christian before then. (coughs) (laughs) And so what I did, a friend called me, this still blows my mind, a friend called me and they had just seen Oprah Winfrey. And on Wolper Winfrey was a Lutheran pastor and a Catholic priest talking about possession. And so the pastor had said, you really have to accept Jesus Christ to get free of this possession. And we know how to do that. So I thought, wow. They had told me that he came from this Lutheran church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And so what I did was I got on an airplane that night, and I flew to (laughs) Minneapolis, rented a car, and went to his church, and walked in, and I went in, and I said, I'm demon-possessed, and I want to know
0: Jesus Christ.
1: (laughs) Well, he took me into the altar. It was a Lutheran church, so it was, you know. Altar. So he had me kneel down and had me say the the sinner's prayer and I did and I I didn't feel any different, but I was so glad that I had taken action and that now I could call myself a Christian. And then I caught the airplane and came back that same day. And yet, I'll have to tell you that it was when I went in to see um, David Stark and David, bless his heart, had just graduated from Denver Seminary. And um, I'm sure he had never, ever seen anyone as oppressed as me. In fact, he told me that. I've never seen anybody this bad off. (laughs) But he trusted the word, and he trusted Jesus. And so he had me tell my story, and then he and a woman prayed for me, and then he had me confess my sin and my need for him, he actually used steps to peace with God. So I could see it very clearly that Jesus was that bridge that I needed and he was the mediator. And that the Bible says, when you confess your sin that he saves you, right? Amen. And that's what happened. And then after I prayed that sinner's prayer and they bowed their heads, it happened. Jesus broke it. He, I was, they were praying and the spirit of God just came into me and broke the hold of the demons and I was free and I knew I was free. And so I just started crying like, oh my gosh, it's just through grace, you know, it's just through grace that we're saved. That's all I had to do and I was free. And so they told me Uh, I probably need a little discipling. (laughs) Mm. That was an understatement. But I knew where I wanted to put my faith. I knew where I was putting my faith. Now, I wish that were the end of the story, but of course it's not. You know, in any process of sanctification, it's never magical. And um, it is a miracle that God takes us and Changes our hearts and changes our souls and changes the circumstances in our life. I could tell you many stories of that. But the demons were aggressive with me. They continued to keep me up all night. They continued to assault my body. They continued to assault my mind. They continued, they continued, they continued. But now I had somebody on my side. And I had that spirit of God in here. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you one story. When I was at a week or two after I was a Christian, I went to a spiritual retreat at the, um, an Episcopal renewal conference. I, I didn't know what I was getting into, but when I went there, you know, there was all this wonderful praise and worship. And I was so excited to be a Christian and, And what God has done, I could not stop thanking him and crying. And then when I was praying and I was singing, and all of a sudden his spirit just bubbled up, and I just felt filled with the Holy Spirit. And he gave me that gift of tongues, that gift of that prayer language that helped me night after night after night when demons would wake me up. He knew that I needed the power of God to walk out of this with him. And he gave it to me. It seems like he gives us a gift that we need for the ministry that he has in store for us. And so that when I would be tormented at night, I would drag myself awake and I would just say the name of Jesus over and over and over. And I would slip to the floor and I would pick up that Bible and I would read. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? Or I'd put on the armor of God and I would pray until they stopped and it didn't take very long. And that's how God renewed me and built my faith in him and showed me who he is and refined me through the fire. Now, I know you've all been through the fire. I had a uh, young man come up this morning who asked for prayer, who had had a demon attacking the Bible. Attacking the word of God every time someone was preaching they would say that's a lie. That's a lie That's a lie And so I said to him just say the name of jesus when that happens because that's what they would do to me in church They would laugh at me. They would make fun of the word of god They would make fun of jesus if jesus is such a big thing. Then why are we still able to hurt you? I didn't know Why did jesus have to die on the cross? I didn't know the answer to all those questions. I just knew that Jesus had saved me and that in time he would answer all those questions. And I also knew that the Word of God was stronger than anything that they said to me and that it had the truth because it was based in reality. So I would carry scripture verses around with me. And when I would get mentally or physically attacked, I'd pull out a scripture and I'd read it until they stopped. Or I'd start praying. And I was in church five days a week. I was at an Episcopal service. I was at a Presbyterian service. I was at a, at a vineyard service. Because that's when my mind was quiet. And then over the years, they just faded away. until. oh, we serve a mighty Savior. <laughs> he is such a mighty Savior. He's everything. He's stronger than anything you face. He's stronger than those negative thoughts in your mind. He's stronger than any drug habit you've ever overcome. Or any sin. Or any voice. Or any insecurity. Or any doubt. He's alive and he's strong. And I'm here to testify and be a witness to that. So I ask you, where do you put your faith? And I say, with you, don't I? Jesus Christ. Huh? Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Okay. Okay, now we'll have some uh, Q&A. And um, Mike just reminded me to say the question again, so you all hear it. Go for it. I can't hear you. I can't hear him.'m Sorry. there's a lot of practices that came out of the new age that I think are demonic. So I would say it is a very strong attack, but I would say more things like relativism and some of the, um, some of the, the cultural issues that we're struggling with right now as a, as a nation are, are just as strong as any poltergeist or occult phenomena. Cause Satan Satan, of course, not only attacks in terms of signs and wonders, but he attacks our mind and he undermines faith in, in Christ. He'll do anything to undermine faith in Christ. Well, I have to start with that. Um, there's only two spiritual kingdoms. You agree with that? God and the kingdom of Satan. There's only two spiritual kingdoms. And so you have to go from, you have to ask them, do you think God is God is doing this? And it's easy to do with things like yoga, you know, because it's so Hindu based. Um, but it, it's a, there's other things, like the acupressure right now is very um, popular, you know, Therapeutic touch, different kinds of energy fields, kinds of things. Like one man this morning asked me, um, what's so wrong with manipulating energy if, if it works? Why can't that be of God? Well, is it the Holy Spirit? And when I think of manipulating energy, I think of magic. When I think of manipulating energy, I think of rituals that people use in order to get what they want. It's certainly not prayer, is it? When I was in the New Age, I would, I would use my hand to, to go over someone's body to see if I can feel their aura. It was demonic. And when I became a Christian, God told me to stop it. It's the source that's important. And part of the ignorance in the church right now is that they don't understand what Satan can do. And so they don't know how to combat all of these practices that are kind of coming into Christianity. And so what I would do is say, you know, all, all things, all healings are not of God, it can come from Satan too. So be careful who you're serving. Because something works doesn't mean it's good. And I repeat that over and over because that's what God said to me. When I wanted to continue doing Jin after, you know, I'd become a Christian, I thought, oh, is there anything wrong with Jin What's wrong with this? It works. Well, for one thing, it's based on Hindu. For another, the information came through divination. It was channeled. Does God use a pagan channeler who uses divination to decide where the pressure points are? I don't think so. So I, I, have, I feel kind of strongly about it. Okay. Um, one of the, my objections to yoga is, of course, the release. They teach that it, there's the release of chi, um, C-H-I, you know, and it's an energy force that goes up and down your chakras. Do you understand what I'm talking about? You ever heard of it? And so in yoga, they have different postures and different positions that are designed according to the pagan Hindu philosophy, to release this so that you're more in balance. And yoga is very popular right now in the rec centers and and throughout because it's a stretching exercise. Now, I did yoga for 10 years, so I understand all the stretching exercises. Do I do yoga now? No. But when I'm stretching before I get on the treadmill, I will... um, use one of their stretching. I'll stretch that way, but it's not because I'm thinking anything's being released in me. It's very seductive because if you listen, if you're in a yoga class long enough, you're going to learn about how you're releasing energy. And a lot of people who go to yoga classes week after week after week hear about this energy that comes in through the crown chakra and comes through and harmonizes. And there's music going on in the background. So pretty soon you start confusing this with the Holy Spirit. No. Uh-huh. He wants to hear something about a sweat lodge. Um, the purpose of the sweat lodge is purification. Are you a Native American? No. Right. I, I, I did a uh, week-long workshop with a Kulandero from a Wichel tribe. Is that Kulandero? Uh-huh in a a ritual tribe in Mexico. It's for purification. So uh, it's a ritual, like a cleansing ritual, to purify the soul. And when you're in there, in the sweat lodge, it's very hot. And so there's drumming and there's a lot of chanting. And there's, again, they promote an altered state of consciousness so that you're, again, rising above this body as if there's something tainted about our body that we need to escape from to harmonize ourselves with this universal energy force, which they call the great spirit. Um, sweat lodges are very popular, and many people, even who are Christian in some of the places now, who have Christian churches, have sweat lodges in front of their churches. It's confusing because let's come back to what Jesus did. When Jesus came and he died on the cross for us, what did he do to the Jewish cultic system? I mean, do we have to go through all these rituals anymore? No. He gives us a new life. And and through faith, it's grace, isn't it? Whereas the Native Americans are still trapped in that they have to purify themselves through sweating and heat and long prayers and... Can I shed light on role-playing, role-playing games? I'm not familiar with role-playing, but are you hinting at visualization? Oh, yeah. I've never played Dungeons & Dragons. Has anyone here ever played Dungeons & Dragons? You have. Well, you could probably tell me a lot more about this. That really wasn't my thing. I don't know. I'm sorry. I, I, I've not read that much on it, and it's hard to know what comes first, the chicken or the egg, you know? Visualization, I'm more familiar with because visions and, and things are often used, you know, as, to prepare you for something, and there's nothing wrong with that. But when the visualization takes on a life of its own, then I would stop. When it starts becoming, you know, alive, <laughs> or starts talking back to you, this is not a good thing. One time, I went to a church and they were—they had this—they uh, had this warm-up. I'll call it that. This way of getting into worship, where they had you visualize that you were talking to Jesus. So they said, "Now imagine Jesus in your mind's eye, and just imagine him." And I thought, "I can't do this. <laughs> I just can't do this. I can't imagine." Jesus, because I was afraid some demon would come and pretend they were Jesus and start talking to me. So... Okay, I would say, in general, the capabilities of Satan are to masquerade, and he's the great deceiver he's the great deceiver and he's also the accuser and so he can take he can he 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 will tailor his temptations to you and your personality he will like mine was i'm I'm visual and fanciful and dramatic, sorry, but I am and 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 so I, I was into this, you know. But um, other people may be very clinical, and so he'll appeal to your intellect. And other people might be swayed by, say, lust, or someone might be swayed by apostasy, or someone might be swayed by some other sin that will take us away from Jesus. But he can mime things. He can mime your thoughts, or he can mime. And that's why... When you know the real thing, who is Jesus, and you stay close to him, then you, you understand when something's coming your way that is not something of God. You just think, ooh, this doesn't feel right. This isn't good. He certainly has his hand on our culture right now, wouldn't you say? He's the prince of this world. I I think that they do, although a lot of people disagree with me, Um, a lot of people, but I think they do because they can take a thought and just take it somewhere that that I don't want to go until I bring back, you know, when I use my will to say no to that, but they seem to know how to do that, so that's why I say I think they can, but there again, they're not more powerful than who we are in Christ. It's not like we have to be afraid that some demon's reading our mind. Because when we're in Christ, we have the power of Christ. But I do believe that they have the, the ability to tempt us and lead us astray. Destroying. That's right. It is God who gives him the power because Satan really is a created being. He's not God. It's his permissive, God's permissive will, not his discretive will. He doesn't decree it, but it is his permissive will. Okay, one more. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> they, yeah, you don't have to be a Baptist. <laughs> you can. <laughs> there's a lot of ch- other churches that deny it, so we don't have to say that it's only the Baptists. But I will say um, that if you practice disciplines of prayer, or you practice disciplines of reading the Bible, and if you and if you maintain that close relationship deep within yourself with God, that it's alive, you know? It's alive. And when you start feeling stale and dead inside, maybe it's time to get right with God again and find a place where you belong, like you find a place you can belong here, right? So just trust yourself and trust God. Keep asking him to remain alive to you. Because this isn't just religion, is it? No, it's a relationship with Christ. And he's wonderful.